Okay. Okay, so I think I'm good. <laughs> right, it's recording, it's fine. Right, cool. So, um, hello and welcome to Plant CEO. Um, in today's episode, I'm going to start that again. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. What the it hell? It was, it was I need, fine. I need Come to on, get myself. Oh, no, no, no. no you're, you're getting stressed. I don't know why. Come on. <laughs> okay, so. Um, Hello and welcome to Plant CEO. In today's episode, I'd like to welcome my guest, Andrew Ive, founder and general partner of Big Ideas Ventures. Welcome, Andrew. Hello there, Nan. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? Uh, very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this this uh, this lockdown period we're in is uh, is is somewhat challenging, but uh, at least um, we're all getting a little bit more family time than we anticipated. Yeah, it's it's great to to have that, and I think we'll probably miss it as soon as we've come out. Um, don't know when that will be. More likely now, probably uh, next year, probably by the look of things. Um, unless you live in New Zealand, obviously. Um, I think uh, all the other countries have uh, got some catch up to do. Yeah, I, 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 the funny thing is, I think this has given us an opportunity to consider what normal we go back to. Uh, you know, what are what parts are we going to keep of what we've been going through the last few months i.e for example um i i know friends of mine for, uh, have been doing extra sport have been working out more regularly uh, even though it's at home more family time more dinners around the dinner table uh you know eating food as a family um all these things maybe we can try and keep those as we go back to normal yeah exactly i think um also my next door neighbor actually said maybe every year we need to have a week of a lockdown to let the planet also breathe for a while Wow, that's a super good idea. That's, that's actually a really fabulous idea. I was actually going to tell him to put it up on uh, on change and actually make that into a petition. I think it's it's a great idea. Well, you know, there's that company, uh, Green Monday, who, yes. who basically suggests that every Monday uh, we we don't eat meat just for that one day. Um, and obviously, yeah. obviously, we can do that for as many days as we want. But you know, maybe there's that Green Monday idea where one day a week or you know one one week a year or something we just give the give the planet a bit of a break yeah yeah it makes a lot of sense um i would love to see that happen actually um so yeah actually david who um uh, young who's uh, going to be coming on the show soon actually so yeah we'll, we'll we'll be talking to him about that um but uh, yeah it'd be great to start actually uh, on your background in marketing so you know obviously i'm in marketing in in terms of my my profession and uh uh, you started your career, I think it was at P&G on the cosmetic side. Um, it'd be great to learn more about that and what your experience was there. Sure. So uh, I did an internship uh, between the last year of college and graduating um, at Procter & Gamble. Uh, I chose I chose that organization because it had a fabulous reputation for brand management, uh, you know, world class um, leadership in, in brand management, in marketing. And uh, I, I thought it would be a really great place to learn that kind of uh, that part of, of my career. Uh, I'd actually started a company when I was in college uh, oh, wow. as an undergrad, as an undergrad. Um, and I realized there were certain things that I needed to learn. <laughs> and, and so when Proctor offered me an internship, I, I accepted, really enjoyed the experience and, you know, joined the company when I graduated. I thought, you know, working at Procter for three or four years would teach me a lot of the things that would would become really useful to me and uh, that's exactly what happened yeah I joined I, I joined cosmetics and fragrances at the time it was an entirely new division for Procter uh, they were known known for sort of doing laundry and cleaning health and beauty they had a kind of hundred year heritage in some of those other categories and yet they for whatever reason decided to branch out and and acquire businesses in cosmetics and fragrances so entirely a new category for them uh, they considered it pretty much the wild west uh, for for themselves 
and uh, they gave me that that choice of either working in a very traditional brand where uh, it was you know half a percentage point shifts in a year would be ex- uh, cause for excitement or an entirely new category the wild west where they were still trying to figure out everything and uh, you know given my personality i jumped at the chance of of the wild west and and doing something that was um un, you know unbroken ground in that sense yeah, so I think um, having worked with Coty myself in the past and, uh, you know, when they're working with, um, I guess, the luxury brands who have their own sort of guidelines over what the, you know, brand's guidelines should be in terms of advertising, is there's, there's a sort of a battle between the license holder and actually what messages you can and can't put out there. Did you, did you face sort of similar challenges when you were at P&G? Or was it brands that they had actually acquired, or was it more of a license model as well? Yeah, so the so uh, the brands that I worked on, so CoverGirl Cosmetics um, was one, uh, Old Spice was another. They were brands they owned. Um, okay. They they did ha- they did have a license at the time with Hugo Boss, right? Um, and Hugo Boss obviously had their own uh, fashion line and so on. Uh, so that would have been a license situation, but I didn't, you know, I didn't work on that brand, so it never really came up. Um, now there was a, 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 a the brand in the U.S. CoverGirl was 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 and may still be, I don't know, uh, the number one brand from a volume value perspective, um, and and therefore because we were launching it in Europe, uh, we were sort of dictated to by the U.S. brand in terms of how we how we leverage the assets and the kind of positioning of the brand and the price point and those sorts of things. So we, we had certain kind of um, tracks that we needed to follow uh, so that we didn't diverge too much from, from what was, what was happening with our U S brand. Yeah. So I think, I think the whole space now is really quite interesting, especially as you're finding health and beauty brands who are going sort of direct to consumer, they're creating these prepackaged boxes they're also um, really pushing the cruelty-free and the vegan angle in terms of the ingredients that they're using. Um, and that's a huge market right now. Even, you know, talking to my daughters who are interested in this brand. Oh, you should go and speak to this CEO. You should go and speak to that CEO of all these brands. I think they just want the makeup. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The whole space is just really quite cool. So there was a – so one of my kind of side projects when I was there uh, was was – to discontinue a brand, um, and, and that brand uh, was called Outdoor Girl. Uh, it was a it was a local cosmetics line that had been launched in the UK and Ireland some time before, um, and it was it was it never really taken off. It, it really didn't do very well, uh, and they wanted me to basically discontinue it, which which translated means. Um, getting a bunch of people to go in on the weekends and the evenings and put the products in black plastic bags and, and disappear them, you know, get rid of the products. Um, now, because it was called Outdoor Girl, um, I, I thought there was maybe an opportunity there, especially given what was happening with Body Shop. So, you, you know, to your point, you're talking about cruelty-free, mm-hmm. you know, nat- natural, kind yeah. of more, more sort of, you know, natural ingredients. Um, Body Shop, you know, 20 years ago was sort of the the leading edge of of exactly that, of yeah. exactly that, right? Animal yeah. free, yeah. A, a, animal cruelty free, natural yeah. products, and so on. And so, Actually, Body Shop actually was a big one for them as well, wasn't it? Reusing, reusing the uh, the bottles. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Body Shop was sort of the the beginning of that that kind of that movement um, uh, uh, in the health and beauty space. And that what's happening now is, pr- is pretty much a kind of coming back of uh, uh, coming back a lot of those themes. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's interesting, like how brands are also dealing with COVID, like, you know, Lush saying, you know, if you need to come in and wash your hands, come into our stores. And obviously, you know, then you have the experience of using their soaps. Uh, I think that's quite interesting, like uh, a play on that on that to, to entice them. Obviously, now I think they're probably shut. This was prior to most of the lockdown happening with the retail stores. Um, but yeah, super interesting. Interesting. We could talk about that for, for ages. But then after that, you decided to um, move to a food tech accelerator. Um, um, can you tell me about your experience you had with them? I think it was Foodex that you worked for. Yeah. Um, 
so there, there was a, a, a quite a distance between Procter and Gamble and Foodex, but yeah, happy to happy to talk about. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, that's probably about I don't know fifteen year, fifteen years yeah. gap okay. between. Okay, uh, I, I wish I was that young. Uh, <laughs> no, so so yeah, I took over responsibility for Foodex um, when it was very uh, very young. Uh, the founder. Uh, uh, decided he wanted to go in a, in a new direction. And um, I pretty much took over in the first, I would say, 12 months or so. And um, I think it was about 12 months, maybe 18 months after the launch. And so I took over as MD and uh, we, we being the team, we built, you know, built Foodex. Um, and that was very much focusing on food tech um, startups, you know, young companies globally. Um, and working on, uh, you know, helping them to um, launch their products, grow their products, uh, get funding, uh, you know, pull the pieces together for these young young food companies. Yeah. And what was the main sort of innovation you saw in that space? Uh, you must have seen very many companies and, you know, very passionate sort of entrepreneurs at the time. Sorry, my my dog is scratching at the door. I just literally opened the door for him. <laughs> okay, so hopefully hopefully you can cut this let's, bit out. Let's take let's take that question again. <laughs> okay, sorry, this, this this guy just sort of uh, was scratching on the door, and if I hadn't, he would have start barking. Yeah, it's a lovely dog though. Thank you. So <laughs> so so the question again. I apologise. Yeah. So um, you must have seen a lot of. Um, innovation in that in that's you know we'll start that we'll we can edit that but I think it'd be great to see your dog in the shot so um I'll tell you what let me um let me take that question from the beginning I'll cut cut the bit where you just disappeared I'll take the question again um and then you can always pick up the dog and show the dog to everyone I think that would be cool um (laughs) (laughs) okay so we're going to talk about your your experience um with entrepreneurs and innovation at at Foodex, is is that good with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, sure, okay. sure, sure, sure. Okay. So yeah, so so. Oh, let, um, let, I'll ask I'll ask the question, then you answer. Okay. Yeah, because I'll cut I'll cut it from that point. Okay. Okay, so um, you you saw the innovation um, happening in the food space. What what sort of uh, I'll ask that again. Sorry. Um, you must have seen a lot of innovation happening in the food space. What, what sort of appealed you and what was the sort of visions the entrepreneurs had at the time um, that you experienced when you were there? <laughs> that, that was lame. That was so lame. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was, it was like so nicely. <laughs> you just, <laughs> just thrown me. Okay, wait a sec. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll just I'll just keep it simple. Um, so what sort of innovation did you see in the food space at that time? Uh, great question. So so at Foodex, we um, you know we got it to the point where we were getting about a thousand companies applying every year. Uh, you know we 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 uh, got it to uh, it, it. Foodex became was. <laughs> now I'm, how no. I'm doing it. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Uh, okay. Do you want to ask it again or do you want me just to answer? We'll, we'll do it again. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what sort of um, innovation did you see happening in the food space at the time? Yeah. So, I mean, Foodex was basically the first food tech accelerator globally. And we got it to the point where approximately a you know 800 to a thousand companies were applying on an annual basis so you know the gamut of of innovation was seen we you know we were seeing companies uh, in the uh, supply chain uh, we were seeing you know plant-based uh, we started to see cell-based apps uh, sustainability upcycling you know you name it from a food perspective uh, we were having companies from around the world applying um, with with all sorts of different business models. Uh, interestingly, you know there were certain trends that we saw coming through, uh, and often they were following successes. So, for example, uh, maybe about four or five years ago, we had a a whole uh, swath of companies coming through 
on the insect side for about a year quite a few you know quite a few companies uh, were promoting or put, moving forward with some form of execution around insects uh, so but that that sort of came and went quite quite quickly i'm sure there are companies well i know there are companies still in that space and using insects for example as a as a feed for animals etc but um, from my point of view the what i really started to see coming through in a big way was plant-based and cell-based as a as a significant opportunity and the reason why we saw that not just as a um as a, a kind of a new thing but actually a shift in consumption was because the consumers were behind it it, it wasn't a a kind of startup driven phenomenon it wasn't something that just sort of popped up um, from entrepreneurs this is something that was very much consumer driven and from a you know from a procter and gamble perspective what you're looking for first and foremost is where are the consumers going and you know procter uses a lot of data to understand those those kinds of consumer insights before um, it launches new products new brand extensions and so on from a food ex perspective um, i was seeing uh, consumers moving in that direction i was seeing it um, in in you know in retail stores i was seeing it in grocery stores uh, you know, obviously, we were starting to see the success of companies like Impossible, like Beyond. Uh, we were seeing a whole range of new brands coming through and getting um, moving from being a, a kind of obscure peripheral brand to being something that was kind of central, uh, central aisle or, you know, in, in a kind of core core positions in, in store, uh, which was showing me that not only was it an innovative product, but that consumers were were gravitating towards it and were integrating it into their daily lives. Um, I also was was aware that plant-based foods and cell-based foods not only were where the consumer was going, but also had a far lower potential footprint in terms of climate change, um, you know, CO2. Um, often these products have the, the, the ability to be uh, healthier from a personal perspective, you know, less, less, uh, less fat, uh, less cholesterol, etc. So whether it's from a climate perspective, a personal health perspective, or even, for example, an animal welfare, you know, perspective, those foods, plant-based and cell-based, had the potential to not only deliver what consumers were looking for, but do to do so with a far lower impact. Yeah. And so uh, when we previously spoke, uh, I think when you turned uh, 50, you decided you had 10 years left of good working life. Uh, and that's when you decided to create your own uh, VC fund and accelerator. Um, so can you tell me about, obviously you saw the trend happening um, and you probably would have recognized which markets that were happening, but you decided to really uh, zone in on the plant-based and the cellular side. Can you tell me a bit about your journey to start that? The, the big ideas ventures yeah sure so so i've i've been fortunate enough to work across maybe six or seven industries in my career uh you know finance health and beauty um technology software um and food and so on and often i would walk out of my office or my building or wherever i was you know doing my day job and I would sort of wonder to myself whether my job and, and what I'd done that day was in some way beneficial. So, for example, when I was working in cosmetics at Procter & Gamble, I used to walk out thinking to myself, you know, do women truly need another shade of lipstick? Do they really need another eyeshadow? You know, there's thousands of eyeshadows. There's thousands of lipsticks. Um, there's multiple brands. Am I really making, you know, any any real difference? Am I doing anything that's worthwhile? Now, when you're younger, uh, and you're, you know, when you start a start a family and you've got mortgages and you've got school fees and all sorts of other things to worry about, you don't often. You, you, it's quite easy to get tied up on in in kind of having a salary that just sort of covers what you need from a family perspective you don't really start think uh, you know maybe maybe you do maybe you don't but i wasn't when i grew up thinking about um you know 
is what I'm doing benefiting the planet? Is is what I'm doing benefiting you know my, humanity uh, in any way? Um, now, it wasn't until I was, as I said, as you mentioned, coming up to fifty, that I sort of thought to myself, okay, I've got a decade left. In you know, when I'm sixty, assuming my wife's still talking to me. Um, <laughs> She, or bit huge assumption huge huge assumption um assuming she's still talking to me and still wants to hang out with me um she's probably going to want to spend you know 60 on doing spending a lot more time with me uh, at least that's the plan the current plan yeah um I, th- what that means is i've got a decade to 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 leave a mark you know i've got a decade to sort of take all of the lessons i've learned all of the stupid mistakes I've made um, and uh, and ideally translate all of that into doing as much as I can to have as uh, you know as, as as big an impact as I can so as I was a, sort of approaching my 50th year I, I was sort of thinking okay is it really about making as much money as possible is it really about being able to i don't know buy a buy something new you know buy some kind of man toy or whatever it is that people you know people do with their cash um or is it about something else and i kind of uh, came to the conclusion that i wanted the next 10 years to be um to make to make things better and and the driver for that was my my daughter very much she um you know she she's she's in starting uh, as, as she moves to adulthood and she's going to college now uh in september for the first time um she's inheriting a, a planet that that we and my generation have had uh possession of for you know the last 30 40 years and i ideally want her to inherit the planet as an adult that is in a better shape than when I, when I took hold of it and when my generation took hold of it. Unfortunately, I don't think right now that's the case. I don't think that my daughter's generation are in a better place than we were. Um, you know, we've got at least two degree change in the temperature. Uh, at this point, we're in on track for, you know, two degree, three degree changes in, in, in global temperatures. The, the, pest, the possible consequences to rising water levels and um, changing weather patterns, you know, crop crop availability and the ability to grow enough food for a burgeoning population. All of these things make me nervous. Uh, and I know they make a lot of people nervous. And if I can, over the next 10 years, work with great entrepreneurs, engineers, scientists to bring some of the solutions to the world that will help solve some of these problems or at least make a dent uh, in some way then the next 10 years will be uh, well spent and that's that's what it's all about for me now interestingly i think by and by the way i'm not a pessimist i'm not a kind of person who's going to kind of doom and gloom my way through life um, over the next 10 years i truly believe that human beings are especially when the going gets tough incredibly creative incredibly um uh, you know smart and able to come up with solutions and i do think that when the going gets tough we're going to have entrepreneurs scientists engineers and others who are able to find solutions um, and so yes uh, you know my role if there is one uh, and if i can have one over the next 10 years is to find those great entrepreneurs scientists engineers and to help move some of the obstacles out of their way so that they can be as successful as possible with you know delivering these solutions um, to to our species you know and i'll happily work with anyone and everyone to to make sure that those those folks those entrepreneurs engineers scientists um are are as successful as possible because we we all need it i mean we've talked about flattening the curve of covid um you know the biggest curve that needs to be flattened is climate change uh, and 
COVID is is very scary and it, it, it it's caused a, a dramatic loss of life that is terrible for everyone concerned um, and has impacted a lot of people. But, you know, we're talking about a, a, a species changing event with with climate change right now. Um, and it's 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 it potentially going to impact the millions. And again, I'm a positive person and I do believe that we have the potential to find the solutions um, to some of these problems in the short to medium term. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, very commendable of you to do this. I think uh, it's also one of the reasons that I've uh, also uh, started the show. Hello, who's that? <laughs> uh, this is Coconut. And if I don't kind of pick him up occasionally, he kind of uh, bites my ankles and Aww. starts bar <laughs> starts barking. So it was either pick him up or... Um, yeah, I think it was, it was whining either... before, right? That's What's a good thing. I think he was whining before, was he? scratching at the door so basically the door. Okay. when the door's closed he comes up and scratches and says <laughs> basically let, let me in and if I ignore him he barks until I do so yeah yeah I was just saying um yeah nice to meet you coconut um so yeah I think <laughs> I think it's very commendable of you um and um and I think that's one of the reasons that I've also started this show is also to highlight some of these companies and it, it's really a numbers game for me like the more and more companies that we have the better impact that we can have on the on the climate and I think it's for 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 us you know coming from a marketing angle it's good to give them exposure give good to give you exposure so you can also talk about uh, the companies that you've invested in now that now now the interesting thing is i don't think that doing the right thing and supporting the companies that are sort of at the cutting edge of of what's happening in the plant-based food space or cell-based food space means that it's just about doing the right thing for the planet yes it's first and foremost but i think it's possible for investors to invest in these companies and make a a pretty healthy return so it's not a you know yeah a, a, a doing a choice versus a financial choice for, for the investor yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly right so, so for example if you're an investor who's just about making money um i think you know and i think we've seen for example with impossible yeah. and beyond and so on that it's possible to make significant returns in our in our in the plant-based and cell-based space yeah, uh, I think that's that's been proven now. Uh, but I but I also think that um, it's possible to not only make money, but also um, do the right thing and bring foods to market, which um, resonate with wh where people want to be from a consumption perspective. So, you know, we are culturally influenced by our families, by our, our, our you know, where we're brought up, uh, what we like to eat and so on is very driven by are you know those cultures those habits food is such a central part of everything we do um you know it's it's how we share time with our families um you know covid notwithstanding so so food is food is very central uh but i think it's possible to again make money and bring great tasting amazing foods to market that just have a far lower impact on climate and you know sustainability yeah so it'd be great to know a little bit more about the companies in your portfolio that you're backing, actually. Sure. Uh, what do you want to start with? Some some kind um, of plant-based meat or plant-based, you know, what's... Let's let, Yeah, let's start with the, the plant-based meat alternatives and then we can move on to the cellular ones. Yeah, so I mean, so we, we focus uh, with our first fund, the New Protein Fund, on plant-based meat, uh, seafood and dairy. Um, so we we don't just cover meats. We cover, you know, a range of things. For example, um, there's a company in our portfolio in, in New York uh, called PlantKind. Uh, and PlantKind is focused on plant-based uh, mayonnaises and, and, and salad dressing. So not egg-based, but, you know, uh, uh, it's actually le leveraging kind of plant-based ingredients. Uh, we've got a, we've got a company called Grounded that we um, invested in from Australia, um, who relocated to yeah. uh, Los, An Los Angeles, and Grounded is leveraging uh, cauliflower uh, to make plant-based uh, cheeses. Yeah. So so they've got an incredible range of, of 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 cheese products that taste like you know Gouda, Camembert, he uh, uh, feta cheese. And they're made from, uh, you know, plant-based ingredients. A lot of the cheeses in this category in plant-based 
uh, often use cashew nuts. That's you right. Know, yeah. I, I would say 80% of the companies we've seen use cashew nuts. Yeah. These guys, these guys are are fermenting um, uh, uh, using the a, a typical cheese process cauliflower, which is just right. kind of mind blowing. And it's yeah. uh, and it's ugly. It's ugly cauliflower too. Cauliflower that would generally be thrown away. Okay. Uh, because it just because it doesn't look pretty on the shelf. All right. Um, yeah. We've got a, We've got a company called Patch Organics. Uh, Patch Organics is using pumpkin seed to create um, a really delicious, healthy, uh, uh, plant-based milk product. Okay, yeah. So one of the things that we see often in plant-based milks is almonds mm. um, as being one of the kind of core ingredients often. And yeah. almonds almonds are an allergen. They're also very uh, heavy in terms of water consumption. Uh, yeah. They're not the most environmentally kind of sensitive, um, you know, product, uh, uh, yeah. ingredient. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shall I, shall I keep going? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's great. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I know okay. that so almond milk, for example, is quite very popular in the US compared to, like in the UK, I would say more more people are probably drinking more oat milk, uh, I would imagine. Yeah, so oak, uh, oat milk has, has kind of um, popped up in the last year or two in the US as well. Um, a, couple of, a couple of things. One is it tends to be high in um, uh, it, sugar and high in fat, can be. Uh, depending on how it's processed yeah um, also also it's it can be gluten uh, there can be a kind of gluten aspect to that for people who are right. gluten insensitive for example sure. Sure. um uh so a few more for, a few more companies for you uh revolution gelato uh revolution gelato is a plant-based ice cream yeah range range and that product wins awards versus dairy uh, yeah. they've got they've probably got 10 awards um in you know ice cream com ice cream tasting competitions um just it's so an incredibly sorry go ahead i was going to say what, what's their base that they use so some of the alternatives may use coconut some may not etc uh, i interviewed a company called uh perfect world ice creams uh, based here in the uk actually um uh so yeah i'm interested to see uh, what what they're doing different yeah, uh, what I'll, I'll get him to uh, uh, come talk to you and t take sure. you through how, yeah. he creates his, how he creates his magic. I don't want to spoil yeah. his. I don't want to spoil his thunder. No uh, There's a company called Please Food, and that's P L E E S E Foods. And these guys, um, they've got a really interesting product. Uh, cheese, you know, regular cheese, uh, dairy-based cheese. Yeah, has performance performs in a certain way. Yeah. So, for example, so for example, if you put dairy mozzarella on a on a pizza, right, a, a pizza oven is at 500, 600, sometimes higher temperatures. If you put plant based cheese on a pizza in an in a pizza oven, it disappears. It basically yeah, vapor, it vaporizes. vaporizes because it's normally coconut based and it just like, you know, just. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It just, it just disappears. Right. Yeah. Um, also, cheese slices on burgers—they have a certain temperature by which they they melt on they top melt. of the burger, right? So, plant-based cheese slices, Daya and others—they um, basically just sit there like a piece of plastic on top of a burger. They—they yeah. um, they don't. They—they're not at the right temperature to melt over it. So, Please Foods have created. Uh, mozzarella for pizza that works in extremely high temperatures it tastes like mozzarella it looks like mozzarella but it's it's plant-based and it works it works and doesn't disappear uh, in in pizza ovens yeah, and pizza yeah. pizza is a big deal obviously uh, around the world um, also they do cheese slices that melts at the right at a burger temperature yeah um, so and at a plant-based burger temperature so that it kind of does what it's supposed to do on top of the burger have, have um, they looked at the, the protein elements of like casein to, to get that consistency quite right, which is, you know, one of the core things within cheese um, to, to, to sort of crack, I would say. Yeah. So the, this, the, the Please Food um, cheese product is based on a bean. OK. Uh, so that's that, that's that. And they've spent probably, I don't know, four years, five years, three years, something, some, some obscene amount of time making sure that this product does what it's supposed to do as well as taste how it's supposed to taste yeah so I, I that's what's going to win people over isn't it like as soon as as soon as this taste uh, barrier has been um 
you know lifted and and people like the taste and then it's you know the cost if it's lower cost than the 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 you know the traditional forms then uh, you're going to see more of a rise coming and i think it especially for uh, not just the the plant-based people the vegan people but also you know people have been eating meat and dairy yeah i, I mean it's it's a it's a great product please foods is doing really well i, I we expect uh, i expect for example for this product to be in you know the the taco bells of the world at some point okay. in the future not only will they be in on pizza but i think they'll be on you know in, in the qsr category because yeah. it's just a really great tasting you know plant-based product yeah. um i'm just gonna i'm just gonna cover off a few more while, sure. while i while i have you yes um, one is it one is a company called uproot so u-p-r-o-o-t these guys are just uh, passionate, super, super passionate about getting plant-based milks and all of their varieties out to um, consumers. Their go-to-market approach uh, started out, and and they they're sort of trying to figure out if, given COVID, it 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 still is going to be their their main go-to-market strategy. But they wanted to get dispensing machines um, into universities. So one of the, one of the things one of the things they were seeing at universities was that if plant-based milk was available it was often a carton that was sort of underneath the counter that people asked for and what they wanted to do was to create this this kind of machine with multiple you know types of plant-based milk soy oat um uh, chocolate pea and coconut milk and uh, people can just go up and you know you put their cup against the the, the kind oh, of little metal tab and just sort of... directly um, correct in a, in a chilled way I guess uh, correct exactly right yeah and, and they wanted they wanted to they will uh, get these into and already have got these into universities um, focused on students uh, we're finding for example that students are dramatically moving towards plant-based oh, yes. milks yeah. versus regular dairy yeah uh, now now obviously universities in the US right now are closed for the summer but they're also sort of figuring out how do they reopen given COVID yeah. uh, some some universities have said they won't until next year um, a lot of universities said they probably will so you know these guys uproot are sort of figuring out what's our perfect go-to-market strategy do we need to pivot for example towards grocery or some other channel or do, do they st stay with the you know machinery machines focused on universities and maybe for example hotels yeah. uh, it, it really depends on what's happening with the lockdown in terms of that go-to-market strategy i think that's good i mean in general i think it's a great strategy because that's you know that's the core audience that you want to also uh, believe in your products and by having easy access kind of like you know when you when you had the coca-cola vending machines it's all about that access isn't it immediate access to to find it wherever you want um so yeah giving giving that and giving them a good alternative to have now is is great yeah and and, and also um their products taste great so for example we've got one in a, in the office <laughs> yeah, I, I somehow I, I i somehow persuaded them to put a machine in one of in in our in yeah, our office in brilliant. new york yeah. so i'm just I, I i'm always running out and sort of filling up with a, a kind of chocolate milk pea a pea chocolate milk product um it's quite it's quite delicious yeah great i might might need to see if we can get one of the one of those machines for company i'm working with undertone um they're they're in york so yeah it'd be great to see if we could do that for our kitchen yeah yeah absolutely um, um should i go yes yeah i think it'll be great to talk about um yeah go, go ahead i think it'll be good to talk about the um the cellular based ones and also get your opinion on, on where that market is going i think you know when you when you look at it at a local level um people's opinions differ like whether they want to have like a gm products that's you know lab grown with you know scientists sort of you know, being concerned about, you know, what will happen in a few years after they eat it. That's the whole sort of, you know, <laughs> you know preconceptions of that, you know, and sure. uh, great to get your thoughts around uh, the companies that you're working in, how you're addressing the marketing side, actually, would be quite interesting to talk about. Sure. So, so cell-based, I would say a year ago for us was sort of a, it was going to be a, a tiny percentage of the portfolio. So, 
our uh, approach was, you know, cell-based may or may not have a market at the end of the process. So, you know, people could spend hundreds, hundreds of millions of dollars getting to getting to the point where you can manufacture cell-based meat uh, at, a, at a similar price point to regular meat. So that's that's the goal, right? To to get cell-based to the point where the cost of manufacturing it is is at a similar price, uh, similar cost to regular meat. Well, that's an incredibly tough target to hit because the traditional meat industry is produced at such scale. Yes, producing producing cell-based at a similar cost of goods is going to be very very tough. Um, and also, once you do that. You've got to ask yourself the question, are people going to be prepared to walk into a grocery store and consume products that include or are purely cell-based meat? Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is, I think in the last six months, uh, consumers are, are starting to kind of question whether or not the traditional um, animal protein supply chain is, is robust and whether or not the supply chain is is as pathogen free as we originally thought. So I think, you know, in, in, in the next 10 years, providing the cost of goods gets down to a manageable level, uh, people may see cell based as a cleaner way of producing the meat that they want to consume versus the factory farmed approach to you know meat production um now you know we're, th there's a gamble there especially as an investor uh you know are are we going to invest x number of hundred million dollars over the next five to ten years to arrive at a point where we can produce cell-based meat inexpensively um and the second part of the equation is will people consume it yeah. will people be be prepared to consume it um there was a, an, an argument uh, that part of what ha has happened with COVID occurred because of a, a, um, a pathogen that, that came, uh, was introduced into the meat system. Um, I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know if that is, is, has been proven or not. I know there was a lot of um, news and articles written about some form of um, wet, wet market in, in some place or other that could be the, the, the kind of source of, of what, what's happened with COVID. Um, if something like this happens again, and, and some people believe it could and may, um, and if, meat, if the meat industry, um, even if it's a peripheral aspect of the meat industry, was the source, I think that will further erode people's confidence in, in consuming meat farmed in a traditional way. Um, at which point they either people will either a stop consuming meat um, or b look for a cleaner process of providing that meat. And I think cell based could be that cleaner, you know, solution. Mm. And, re and really, I think at, at that time that they would have to have complete trust in that. And I think when you look at what Beyond Meat did when in their early sort of investigations when they were surveying their their potential consumers was that they the general public were saying no to sort of genetically modified foods and no to soya and no you know so they took that all on board when they developed their product with that in mind and it'll be interesting to see if, if those opinions start to shift yeah uh the, the kind of gmo argument um i don't know i think people are sort of and this isn't going to be popular of me to say, but I think uh, people are selective about what they consider to be GMO and what they don't. So, for example, chickens were never were never designed to to grow the way they they're currently grown. You know, chickens are probably I, I think they're something like forty or fifty percent the size larger, yeah, uh, uh, of of what they were uh, historically. And we've we've grown chickens to we've modified for want of a better word, chickens to to kind of be a certain way because we want to because we want to consume them. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just one example. But, you know, pretty much anything in it, we've been we've been splicing together 
different breeds of roses and other fruit, uh, other flowers, fruits, vegetables for hundreds of years. You know, uh, we've been modifying, for want of a better word, fruits, vegetables, other other things, seeds for hundreds of years. So, you know, this this kind of genetically modified was just sort of a a bandwagon and a drum that people were beating. I don't know if you can beat a, dra- a bandwagon, but, you know, I'm kind of mixing my, yeah. you know, metaphors here. But, you know, it, it, it became a sort of uh, drum for people to beat, to, 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 to speak about bad food versus good food. And I don't think it's, it's as clear cut or as simple as that. And, and, and a further consideration is, you know, as we get closer to 9 billion, 10 billion people on the planet, I'm not sure we're get, I'm not sure we're necessarily going to have the discretion of whether everything is, you know, organic, locally sourced and and not genetically modified in some way. Yeah. Um so thinking about your your current portfolio, um is there any sort of companies that you're missing that you'd like to see come up whether whether they make it now for this year or even for next year, what would you like to see? What sort of companies um, would you like to see approach you? Uh, so w- w- the name of our company, Big Idea Ventures, is, you know, we, we called the company that because we want to find businesses which are global ideas, you know, global, global uh, products, that have the potential to appeal to people in the US, in China, in Europe, in India, in you know South America, you name it. We we want to to support and back companies which create great tasting, uh, good quality, consistent, you know, wonderful foods in the plant based and the cell based space, uh, and which have the ability to be appealing to everyone. You know, we're not just looking for companies that are going to be popular in you uh, in the United States or in Singapore or in China. We're looking for you know big ideas. So, so the biggest thing we're looking for, or the thing we're looking for most, are companies that have that potential. Um, in terms of category, though, uh, mm. we we do we do see a lot of companies coming through in the plant-based and cell-based meat meat side. Um, we've got quite a few companies on the dairy side, uh, but we're, we're focused on meat, seafood, and dairy. The category that is, is, is kind of more of a white space right now is seafood. Yeah. Uh, there's only a few brands coming through on the plant-based and the cell-based seafood side. On the, on the cell-based side, you've got, you know, Blue Nalu, for example, um, creating a cell food, a self, a, a cell-based seafood product. Um, on the plant-based side, you've got uh, uh, New Wave, you've got Good Catch, uh, mm. you've got uh, Ocean Hugger, you've yeah. got you know three or four kind of main brands coming up into in in that that plant-based side of seafood. I would love to see more uh, seafood. The you know what we're doing to the oceans um, as a species is 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 almost not something we can come back from uh, unless we find a, a, a really good alternative. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all become kind of monks where we consume water and, you know, water and, and the plainest food possible. I, I want just as much as everybody else to be consuming the foods I grew up with that I love, uh, that I'm used to consuming. Um, I just think there are ways through entrepreneurialism through innovation that we can provide those same foods that people love and adore that's a part of their lives with their families and i think we can produce them in more creative ways that that has less of an impact on you know climate but also for example if we create a a whole range of plant-based or cell-based seafood we can have that same food we love without overfishing the oceans um which would be amazing yeah so thinking about those entrepreneurs what what advice would you give to them um that you know they would like to hear from all your experience that you had working with so many startups and uh, so much knowledge about the space reach out to us (laughs) (laughs) i mean the the reality no but i mean the reality is uh we are 
building an ecosystem. You know, big ideas is building an ecosystem with, um, for example, the Singaporean government, with Bueller in Switzerland, um, who, who manufacture big machines to help create these wonderful foods. You know, we're working with Tyson uh, 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 Ventures and Tyson Foods on, on um, bringing great products to, to market. You know, we, we're, we're bringing different parts of the ecosystem together um, from ingredients to manufacturing to distribution to retail to food service so that when we find great startups and we find great foods we can help those companies to get funding we can help them to find the right partners we can help them to launch those products in their domestic markets and ideally because we're building the value chains in other parts of the world we can help them to launch those products in other markets as well you know my my ultimate goal is to be able to help a company to get its product into you know united states china singapore um europe um because we've got all of the right partners in each of those marketplaces uh and 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 we want to help so yeah i mean obviously the advice is get started you know don't wait for somebody else to do it for you if, if there's something you want that you don't currently find in the grocery store um, or in a store and, you know, you can sit there and complain about it or you can get out and, and build it yourself and then work with folks like me to make that product generally available and, and ideally internationally available. Yeah, totally. Well, that's fantastic. And, and I wish you all the best of luck. I'm, I'm hoping to see lots of, uh, great companies coming out um, with with your backing and uh, yeah thanks for coming on the show so yeah just to just to let you know yeah if you want to uh, subscribe to the channel please do or comment um, but for the meantime thank you very much Andrew. Thank you really appreciated your time today and if people want to reach out to me they can either reach out via LinkedIn so Andrew I on LinkedIn or via via bigideaventures.com. Great I'll put your contact details in the descriptions as well. Great. Thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I, I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, likewise. Thanks again. See you. See you. Bye.